This episode of Art of the Kickstart is sponsored by BackerKit. BackerKit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. Plus, if you want to create and send surveys, offer add-ons and pledge upgrades, or begin accepting pre-orders, BackerKit makes it simple. Over 2,000 projects and 4 million backers have used BackerKit, including many of the projects featured on Art of the Kickstart. Ready to try BackerKit? Visit BackerKit.com and sign up today. Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Command Partners, the top full-service crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped raise over $70 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by The Gadget Flow, a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. The Gadget Flow is the ultimate buyer's guide for cool luxury gadgets and creative gifts. To learn more, visit thegadgetflow.com. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today is a very special episode. We are live from CES in Las Vegas. Today, I am joined by one of our previous clients from multiple Kickstarter and crowdfunding campaigns, Adrian Solgard. Adrian, thank you for waking up so early and joining us here at the Art of the Kickstart mansion. Yo, 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 what's up? (laughs) This mansion is pretty sweet, I must say. I specifically love the zebra print that's in the pool. That's just next level. So, yeah, we uh, we lucked out on this location. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, we're here at CES with all of the quarter of a million other people. Adrian is a serial entrepreneur, serial crowdfunding campaigner and product developer. The last product that we just did for Adrian was Backpack that absolutely rocks it. We're getting so much feedback for it right now for the Life Pack. Raised over a million dollars for it. Adrian, let's talk about the uh, the backstory of uh, Soul Guard Design and how it all began. Alrighty, well, since it is my last name, it's kind of my story. So I'll just jump right into to square one. Uh, so when I was sixteen, I started a t-shirt company in high school. Loved making like clothes; it was kind of fun. It was part of our entrepreneurship class, and I was kind of the best business in the school. And we sold like I, don't know, I sold hundred to two hundred and seventy shirts to I don't know half the kids in the school. Basically, it was awesome. Then uh, I was getting into filmmaking, so I started doing BMX and skateboard videos. Then when I was 18, just out of high school, I got a job as a receptionist at a film production company. And then three weeks into the job as a receptionist, the editor wasn't there one day, and I said, hey, can I, can I do his job for the day? And my boss said, sure. By the end of the day, I showed him my work, and they fired that guy, and I got his job. So I was head editor of a nationally aired TV show by the three days before my 19th birthday. Nice. Worked in TV for four years. Just, yeah, fun to create things, fun to do storytelling. Then I started my own production company doing TV commercials, and then TV commercials turned into websites, turned into branding, as we just kind of expanded our services within our client base. And then I got a little bit bored of doing work for other clients, and I wanted to create my own brand. And I had the building blocks with that established group of people already. So then we created the first brand, which was Interlock for Solgore Design. That was a bicycle lock we launched on Kickstarter almost exactly four years ago today. Yeah. Uh, Raised 50 grand, got some investors on board afterwards. Went on, got distribution in almost 28 countries. And then last year, the patents were sold off to uh, another company. 
And then I started LifePack uh, January of last year, January 4th. Just went full blazes, hammer down. January 4th is the day I committed to it. February 29th, we launched the campaign. Prototype, brand, photos, video, everything done in six weeks. I was completely out of money at that point. Yeah, I, man. I was on this like... You did it on a shoestring. $600 to be specific. So I think a lot of people are going to be jealous. I was, I was uh, in a tight spot. Uh, so launched the campaign and raised 20 grand before lunchtime. So it was like, all right, this is going to work. So kept going. I uh, went on to raise 613 grand on Kickstarter, uh, then started production. And then during that process, we were on Indiegogo in demand, raised another 600K. So 1.2 million. And now in the last six weeks, we've started getting bags into the back, hands of our backers. There's about 8,000 people that have bags now and another maybe 1,500 that were still figuring out address changes and we sent the wrong color to a couple and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're almost there. Feedback's awesome. Really good quality. So, so pleased with the feedback we've got from everybody. Yeah, no, it's a killer product. Our entire team's been walking around with them and just everybody is engaging us, asking us about the product. I feel like a walking crowdfunding billboard, <laughs> right? I've got my, my Skinner shoes on, my uh, OG pants, my Unbound Apparel shirt. I am a absolute walking crowdfunding billboard, but you know, we live it and we eat it and we wear it. So let's talk about, you know, the, the, the prep work leading up to a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. You know, when you engage us over four years ago for the interlock, you know, it's a lot different of an environment and a community back then than what it is now. It really was. You know, what have you learned kind of along that path now over the last four years on the crowdfunding side? Well, like you said, it has changed a lot. Uh, the, the landscape has changed because four years ago, it was like the new thing. It was maybe a year too old that was really going. And so people were a lot more excited and a lot more optimistic about certain things. Now there's a bit of a negative, uh, negative side on some things. If you're a brand new company coming sure. out of the gate with no existing experience because of the multiple campaigns that did over a million dollars and have just completely failed and taken people's money and, and left. Yeah. Um, so. What, what I've learned is the number one most important thing is, is building credibility with your backers. Really important to not view them as customers. They're, they're not customers. They're backers. They're yeah. a completely different type of person. They believe in your vision and they want to see your, you be able to bring your vision to reality. It's not, it's not just because they want the product. It's because they want to be part of this journey. Yeah. Um, especially on Kickstarter, I see that, that personality type. Indiegogo is a little bit more. I want this product, therefore I'll buy it. Right. Kickstarter is a more of a, a community feel to it in that way. Yeah, no, it's absolutely um, a conversation, right? I mean, yeah. these are backers. They want to go along with that entrepreneurial journey that you've taken. You know, the fact that you've done it multiple times, you've delivered product, done it on time, on schedule. You know, those are things that build credibility for your next and future campaigns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, being able for us to say like, okay, so this is the product that I started four years ago, went on, produced it here. You can see it in store at this and this and this location and these and these countries. And it's like, it's in REI, it's in, you know, Halford's in the UK and a bunch of stores. And it's like, okay, great. So it's legit. Yeah. Fine. Uh, then it, it, yeah, it's, it's all about building credibility. I'd say is the number one most important thing as a, as a founder, as a creator of a project is just build that credibility and be as open and transparent as you possibly can, uh, with your backers. And if you do that, I see that as a really, really good path to success. And, and for me, one of the ways that I'm trying to do that credibility side of things and say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this is, really using myself as part of the campaign. It's like, hey, I'm Adrian the Canadian. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. My name's Adrian Solgord. Here's my Facebook. Here's my whatever. Here's where I live. You can find me. Look, I'm not running off with your money. Yeah. I want to make I want to make this thing. I'm legitimately passionate about making cool stuff. And yeah, 
So it's, it's a, it's an interesting, really interesting way to just do that. Absolutely. So with a campaign that, that overfunded, you know, and was so overly successful as a, another million dollar campaign that was out there, what difficulties, you know, have you encountered, you know, with not knowing how much the campaign will raise and then it's overly successful with thousands and thousands of backers? Well, I mean, we're talking mostly to other creators now, right? So what our original target was $20,000. And on $20,000, we would have struggled to produce the end product that we have. Sure. Uh, and I was aware of that. But one of the most important things with the crowdfunding campaign is that first 48 hours, that first 12 hours is so, so critical. And it's important that you have some people that are part of the pre-campaign in some way. But I think that the organic traffic that you get those first couple of days just tells you whether you're onto something or not. Of course, you can get people to rally behind you and be part of it. And you can get your mom to buy a bag the first day. That's fine. <clears throat> My mom waited two weeks. Poor mom. Oh, mom, come on. <laughs> um, but the, the, that first 48 hours is so important. So, uh, sorry, what was the question again? Can I see it? <laughs> we were just asking about, you know, in terms of the campaign overfunding and overfunding. Yeah, right. So it's impossible to know what you're, what you're going to do. So I think you need to build multiple strategies when you do it is, okay, if we raise this much, we'll probably produce this. If we produce that much, we'll probably do that. And the number one most important thing it's harder to say if you don't have any manufacturing experience. For me, I've been manufacturing stuff in Asia for four years now, so it's a, it's a different story for me. What I did was used a very, very basic prototype that a lot of it was actually, I, I, I sourced existing components from existing manufacturers and didn't, didn't do too much hard work, hard engineering right off the bat. And I was gentle in the details of what we would be offering. Because if I would have promised a certain amount of milliamp hours in a battery and then it ends up being something different, right. then you're in trouble. Because right. then you've, you've made a mistake there. But, uh, so that's why I started out really light on the details and just tried to keep it as simple as possible. We started with one color, one product. Here's what you get. There's early birds. There's that. And that way you, you limit the possibilities for, for errors. So yeah, to, to sort of protect yourself around how to over, overfunding is never the problem. Underfunding is the challenge. So I think you need to make sure that you can build a minimum viable product with the target that you set. And yeah, try to hit your target as fast as possible. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, no, not answer, I'm not answering that question in a great way. Know, hey, but it's early here in Vegas. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean it's a good answer and it's a good you know reply in terms of you know for backers that are thinking about that and setting realistic funding goals. You know, at 20k, yeah, you you might have struggled to put it together and maybe get some outside funding, but you know, obviously bringing in the additional capital certainly helps. You can scale yeah. a lot faster and actually you know deliver the product, but. You know, during the campaign, obviously, you had launched it with just one color and one idea. And then with enough capital, you're able to introduce new stretch goals and increase the product, the color line, everything like that. So it was great to be able to have those realistic numbers and targets. Yeah. So what's been your biggest post-campaign surprise that you've encountered thus far? Um, well, we did some good stuff with our manufacturing to set some targets for our, our different manufacturers. So our solar manufacturer, we set them a target of deliver by this date so we can hit our timeline. If you're a week late, then there's going to be a penalty on the manufacturing. Like we're going to get a discount. And if nice. you're two weeks late, there's this. And then, so we were able to, there were still a couple of weeks late and then that we, we ended up getting a discount. But the biggest surprise has been Samsung having a bunch of phones blowing up. Okay. Samsung note completely changed the ball game for shipping. Really? Battery shipping worldwide is just about 12 countries just said, Nope. We're not importing any batteries right now. Wow. We just walls down. We're not importing batteries. And that just changed completely. And also, uh, FedEx stopped. No, 
DHL stopped flying batteries. Okay. And all of our shipping estimates were based on flying the like the rest of world stuff for Asia and everything was based on DHL rates from Hong Kong. Yeah. And we ended up needing to go with FedEx, which was double. Yeah. And because FedEx just didn't update their policies, but apparently, yeah. So, so there's certain unknowns that you're dealing with where, okay, Samsung had, it's only like 15 phones, but that's a big deal. Yeah. 15 phones blew up and that changed the landscape for how battery shipping went. So I'd say that was the, the one single biggest surprise was just dealing with that. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's just something that you don't even think about now. It just as a consumer and purchasing the product, you're like, yeah, bring it, deliver it. Like, yeah. oh, batteries. Yeah. Those things are happening. You know, yeah. every, Every flight you get on now, they're telling you, you can't bring your Samsung Note 7 yeah. on here. Yeah. It might blow up the plane. Some guy changed his Wi-Fi hotspot on his iPhone to read Samsung Note. And someone saw it on the Wi-Fi thing. And people were like, oh, they, they actually had to stop the plane. And like everyone had to get off the plane. <laughs> That's a terrible story. <laughs> so, Adrian, let's talk about CES now. We'll switch it up a little bit. You had mentioned to me earlier over breakfast that this is your sixth CES. And no, no, this is my first CES. This okay. is my sixth year in a row in Vegas for some kind of trade show event. So, you're a rookie at CES. Rookie at CES. Total noob. So, uh, give the audience kind of your, uh, your, your rookie uh, experience thus far. Rookie experience thus far. Well, if you ever want to come here, uh, be prepared to wait in a lot of lines for a lot of taxis and take triple the amount of time you expect to get anywhere. My solution to that was I flew in, bought a bicycle, and I'm cruising around on a bike, and I'm doing a little vlog about it because I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> so I bought this beach cruiser, and I'm cruising around. There's a lot of different halls. There's a cool hall called uh, in part of the Sands called Eureka Park, which is lots of startups, lots of manufacturers. I would say if you're interested in doing any sort of manufacturing, any sort of crowdfunding, that's the place that you could spend a lot of time just to network and see people, see what people are doing, ask a lot of questions and see what's going on there. Some of the bigger halls, it's it's Sony, it's Sharp, it's LG, it's, it's mayhem. Great. Here's <laughs> here's the new TV and we improved the specs by 4%. So, right. okay, fine. All right. That's a bit boring to me. But yeah, it's really cool to be able to see all the new stuff that's going on and see there's so much happening in VR right now and drones and all that. So that's really cool. Definitely. So what's been the most valuable thing thus far that you've gotten outside of this podcast of attending CES this year? Uh, so far, the most valuable thing is uh, you can never replace face-to-face meetings. So for me, it's been meeting with some different uh, retailers that are here. Maybe it's not a good idea to say which one specifically. Not yet. But yeah, meeting with some retailers face-to-face, letting them see the product hands-on, listen to the speaker, look at the solar charging. You can see it blinking, the lights blinking and stuff. So actually getting a chance to be hands-on with some of these people and start to build that relationship, it's just so important. Relationships are absolutely everything when it comes to, to any sort of business post-Kickstarter. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing coming to this event and you know seeing, obviously, all of our past clients and future <laughs> clients and new campaigns that we're launching and just having that face-to-face because, again, the, the world is flat, but you know, it's tough to get everybody in a room you know, from vendors and clients that are around the world and around the globe. It's... Uh, this is the central place to, you know, at least have that experience and that face-to-face meeting with them. So let's talk about the, uh, the coolest thing that you've seen so far. It's ES. Hands down, the e-hang drone that you can sit in and it'll fly you somewhere. I just, that's all I want to do is build a drone that I can fly myself. So is, isn't that the next project? That, that's, <laughs> that's the longer term project is basically we've all seen Return of the Jedi. Indeed. We've all wanted a speeder bike since we were like born. Right. So it's what every human wants especially ever met. Yeah. And that's what I want to build. So it was really cool to see that. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's probably the, definitely the coolest thing that I've seen. Should I tell you the stupidest thing I've seen? Absolutely. I saw a garden, uh, patio furniture, big veranda umbrella thingy. 
they had a booth that was 40 by 40. say, yeah. Yeah. Did, you saw this. I, I actually thought it was pretty amazing. So, <laughs> so there's this umbrella that's there. They would have paid $50,000 for that booth. More. $100,000 for that booth. Yeah. They had 10 or 15 staff there. They had a non-functioning prototype. Doesn't even work. Yeah. They're hoping to start pre-sales in four or five months. And they're hoping to start shipping in 2018 before summer. And they're like, if you can afford, if you, if your company can have a non-functioning prototype, you can afford a half million dollar bill to show a product that almost it's just I think that we're in this crazy point of a bubble right now where if you've got that much VC funding that you can throw half a million dollars to like talk about something that doesn't even exist yet. And there's nothing patented on it. There's nothing protected on it. There's no way. Like it's just, that's just nuts. Yeah. It's a nice idea. Yeah. But the solar is actually only these four small panels. It's not the whole, I thought it was a fabric with the solar panels, but actually just these four small pieces on it. And then it's like, okay. And there's Bluetooth speakers in it. Okay. Fine. It's, it's okay. Great. But like, it's two years to go. Yeah. That's, that's, the, I mean, the whole pre, pre-sales, pre-campaign, pre-sales should be the moment when you start to like tell people about it yeah. and then sales and then the pre, pre, pre-sales, it's like, why are we even here? Yeah. Then it's not going to be news when you come out with it. Right. But yeah. Yeah. That one was unique. So your biggest piece of advice for someone launching a product then, whether it's at CES or not. What would you give for advice for our community? Uh, well, I mean, if you're launching a product, you might be doing, like if you'd be launching it at CES, that would be probably tricky to do if you're launching a crowdfunding campaign because you probably have crowdfunding as your launch. I would suggest to not launch it right at the time of CES. It's probably better to wait a few weeks after once the news dies down because during CES, there's so many announcements of so many big, big, big innovations. Right. I would suggest waiting until maybe in February when that, that news kind of dies down, the post-Christmas lull. And then mid-February, I think, is a really good time where people who live in colder climates are really looking for something to to be a part of at that point. Because when you look at, yeah, when you look at the weather and stuff, Christmas brings you through cold November and December, right? And then New Year's and then this. And then February is when you really need to start to have some other anchor to hold yeah. on to because there's spring break a little ways away and then there's summer. So I would say if you're going to be launching something, uh, what's the question again here? Just biggest uh, piece of advice for someone launching a new product in 2017. Year, right? Yeah. For for launching a product on Kickstarter, I would just say do your homework before, and make sure that you. The the, the biggest difference for me, so the first product, Interlock Bicycle Lock, it raised fifty two thousand dollars, and it was like twelve hundred backers, something like that. Then this one was seven thousand backers, raised one point two million. I would say the biggest piece of advice that I've that I could say from my experience is if you want to make something. Don't worry about what the the end retail price is going to be. Make something that's so awesome that'll inspire people. And if you can make something awesome enough, the retail price isn't the most important part. And if you, yeah, I, I would just just say that if you can really just focus on making something awesome. And when you're showing it to some people, be selective in who you're showing it to at the that that pre-launch stage. But show it to people from different demographics. And as you show the product, people really listen to what they're saying. And the biggest difference that I noticed when I showed people the bike lock, they were like, oh, cool idea. Then when I showed people the backpack, their, their thought was, can I get one? When can I get one? And if you can get that reaction out of people when they see it and they hear about it and they're like, yeah, I want one. Or if they say, oh, nice idea. That's kind of like, okay, cool idea. Great. But might not be enough. Might not be enough. If you get people that say, I want it, it's like, oh, that was, that was when I noticed uh, when I was building the campaign for this, the real difference when it's like, 
oh, people are starting to like, my friends actually really want this. A couple of years after I had launched Interlock, I met a friend who of course knew about Interlock and they pulled up on their bike and they had a different lock on their bike. And I was like, that's, that doesn't bode well. Yeah. That doesn't bode well. But I, I think now for this, a lot of my friends back the project and they're getting the bags now. And they're like, this is awesome. This is so good. I'm so happy to have this. So yeah, I would say my biggest piece of advice, make something that people want that they actually want to have. Don't ask, don't ask your mom because she's going to love anything you make, but ask some friends and ask people that are slightly outside of your network that are slightly different demographic from you. And just, yeah, target something that is usable to people in a lot of different ways. Because again, a bike lock is something you need to buy. Right. It's not something you want to buy. A backpack, everyone has two, three, four backpacks and you could maybe use another backpack. So it's nice to have, it's nice to be doing a project that's not something you need, but it's something you want. Absolutely. Solid advice, Adrian. This gets us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a few questions at you live. Good to go? Yeah. So what inspired you to become an entrepreneur? I, I just, it's, it's just in my blood. I don't know. I can't work for somebody. I can't show up to the office at whatever time somebody else says. I just need to do what I want to do. Just love it. Awesome. So if you could, uh, let's say, go biking with any entrepreneur, who would it be? Hmm. That's a good question. I sometimes think that there's certain things. I mean, Elon Musk is such an easy, easy answer to say. I I pull inspiration from so many different people and I pull small pieces from here and there that I can't actually think of one off the top of my head that would be the one that I'd want to sit down with. I would love to meet a whole host of different entrepreneurs and just learn from their different experiences. But there's not one hero that I'm following. It's, It's kind of... Little bits from here, little bits from there that I'd like to pull. So let, let's right. say you went biking with Elon. What would uh, what would be your uh, qu- first question for him? First question would be, I've, I've been asked this question before. I was asked this question in a job interview a few years ago, but it was about like, who's your favorite director? And I couldn't, you can cut this part out. <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't actually answer it because this is, this is one topic that I just, I don't have any like hero that I'm following, I guess. I, uh, if I met Elon, what I would first say is, hey, congratulations. I love what you've done with your business. I love the way that you've created Tesla, that you've started with the high-end product, and then you've started to filter it down and then make it because that's how a successful business is. And I've, I've kind of done a lot of research on it. So sure. I, I wouldn't even have a specific question. I would just like to be in the company of just like give Elon props. and be like, sweet, man, that's awesome. Yeah. And then be like, hey, this is what I'm working on. And then I think I would love to see where the conversation would go. And I would say, hey, I'm working on doing solar tech in consumer goods and small small solar that you can carry with you. Yep. Oh, great. And I, I would see the conversation evolving from there. I wouldn't be the driver of that conversation because I think it's a synergy that happens when you meet someone like that. Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't be the driver of that conversation. He, he wouldn't necessarily be the driver. Our shared ideas. There's this great TED talk about when ideas have sex. Okay. Uh, and I love that concept of when I say something and then if you meet someone that can then one up it and then you one up it and then you one up it, that's when the really exciting conversation happens. So I can't think of like what the, the one, I don't have one question that would give me one answer. Sure. Whatever. Fair enough. So, uh, what, what book would you recommend to our listeners? Your favorite book for an entrepreneur? Um, there's one great book called rocket fuel, which is about visionaries and integrators. And I think that as a crowdfunding campaign creator, if you launch a great product, you have a vision and you have the ability to to see something that maybe other people don't and you create something that's awesome, then the side of actually producing it and running it and then keeping it going is two drastically different personalities. And so I can create something and I can run with it the first time around and then I want to jump onto the next new thing because I'm chasing novelty is kind of the drug that I'm addicted to. Novelty, novelty, what's new, what's new. And then 
if you do that, you'll, you'll start to miss certain details and you'll leave things behind. And Rocket Fuel is a book that's about that personality type pairing with an integrator personality type who is uh, like a maintainer person that will actually continue to drive everything through. Sometimes that could be a PA, sometimes it could be or like an EA or, or a chief of operations or something like that. But just learning about the differences in personalities in that sense, uh, I think is so critical to see how those, how those two people can work. Absolutely. No, we follow that book very closely. Traction was the yeah. first book that they had written. Yeah. Um, definitely interesting with the visionary and the integrator. There is another book, and this is the main one, but it's been years since I read it. I've given it to a few people. I wish I could remember the name of it right now off the top of my head. Uh, it's about creative blocks and about, yes, hands down, the book that I would recommend is The War of Art. It's a book written by Stephen Pressfield, I believe, and it's about he, he's a writer, and there's a, a lot of people that are working in some sort of creative sense when you're creating something. You hit walls, you hit blocks, and it's about the war, the internal battle that you go through to produce something, to create something. And it's just a fascinating thing that really opened my eyes uh, about five years ago before I did my first Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, um, I was in the creative industry doing videos and stuff like that. So you're hitting these walls, you're hitting these blocks. And... I find it just such a such a fascinating way to to start to think a little bit differently about how you how you can go around things and how you can just push through those mental blocks. Uh, for example, I know like uh, I think it's Hemingway. He would, and I might be wrong on that. I might be a different author, but he would have in his house in his office space where he was working is he would have a desk where he would have his typewriter and that was where he would type. Then he would have a desk where he would do his whatever and a desk where he would do his whatever. And it's about how you can separate different tasks into different spaces. And so for me, if I'm going to be working on, if I do all my work, at something in the same space. It's, it's hard to separate that. So sometimes just going to a different location uh, and having that as your dedicated space can help you really focus on that one thing you need to do. Yeah. Shift your mind state. So um, what's next for Soul Guard Design? Uh, well, there's two campaigns that we're hoping to launch this year in 2017. One is a watch and I won't say much more than that, but it's more of a fashion product. And another one is more of a tech product. So with Lifepack, we've kind of, we've, we've hit this, this point of a tech slash fashion product. So what we want to do is establish ourselves as in fashion and style on this side of the goalpost, as this one goalpost, and then another one that's more of a purely tech product on this side. So we're kind of putting these two goalposts in, hey, here's a product that makes your life easier, looks good, and just functions really well. Here's a product that is super high tech, makes your life easier, and does this, and it's kind of fashion, tech, and that's kind of the, the sandbox we want to play in. Just kind of drawing the lines for the sandbox. And then once we have those lines filled in, then the plan is to really start to bring some really cool stuff to market in there. And doing some of these as launches via Kickstarter, uh, some as traditional launches, because, yeah, just because of time. You Once you do something on Kickstarter, you need to wait six months before you release anything else. Sure. Because you need to honor your backers. You need to honor their commitment. So, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of really cool stuff that we're bringing out in the next little while. And like I said, my long game is I want to make a sweet flying drone. Awesome. <laughs> Last question on the launch round. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? Uh, future of crowdfunding? I think that we're going to... It's really hard to see. say. I think, I think that we're going to continue to have crowdfunding in a, in a big way for sure. And I think that it's going to be pared down to maybe a more specific community. Maybe there's going to become a little bit more clarity about it because a lot of people don't even understand what it is as backers. Sure. I mean, 30% of the backers from our campaign were, were fresh to, to crowdfunding. And so they sent us a message like a week after they backed before the campaign even closed. They're like, so when do I get my bag? It's like, oh, you didn't really read it. So I think that, I think that as it gets more exposure and as it gets more understood, I think that 
I think that only time will really tell. It's going to be going to be fascinating, but I, I definitely think it's going to grow. And I think that it's it's such an amazing way to bring unadulterated, awesome stuff to market. Because if you need to, the, the personality again, this comes down to these personality types. The personality type of a someone who creates really cool stuff probably doesn't have a skill set in VC funding, so they need that right. that integrator person to help them on that side. But what's amazing about crowdfunding is that crazy inventor, visionary person that's a little bit different or oddball, whatever, they can just go full on nuts on their campaign idea, on their product idea. They can launch it to the world on crowdfunding and then people can come and say, yes, I like it. No, I don't. And yep. I think that, I think that the future of crowdfunding is really going to, going to continue to be about product idea validation. And that's what I think is the most amazing thing about it. And I think that it's going to grow in that way because people will continue to launch more and more ambitious products via crowdfunding. And it's just that opening gate to, hey, look, I got 5,000 people on board for this thing. And then it helps you to be able to get to the next steps. Awesome. So, yeah. Adrian, this has been fun. Live from CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Please give our audience your pitch. Tell them what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should go buy your products. Uh, okay. Uh, so LifePack is a solar-powered and anti-theft backpack. It means it's got a solar panel that's attached to a power bank and a Bluetooth speaker. So you always have music and power for your phone when you're on the go. No matter, the, the battery itself will hold about six charges for your iPhone or any other smartphone is about the same. Uh, the solar panel will generate an extra full charge for your phone in four hours of sun. One hour of sun will give you two hours of music. So whether you're at the beach or at the pool, you've got tunes with you when you're on the go, which is awesome. The bag also has an integrated lock. So when you're sitting at Starbucks or at any kind of cafe, you can lock your bag to the chair beside you while you're working. So you can continue to focus on your work rather than get distracted by that occasional eye shift. To, oh, is my bag safe? Is my bag there? Um, there's also hidden passport pockets, a rain cover, and the, the short thing about LifePack is it's a bag that's ready for anything. Yeah, uh, you can go to getlifepack.com to check out LifePack, and you can buy it from there, and we are shipping now. Yeah. Awesome. Adrian, this has been great. Audience, thank you again for tuning in. Of course, make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all of the show notes, a full transcript, links to everything we talked about and all of the products. And of course, thank you to our podcast sponsors, the Gadget Flow and Backer Kit. And Adrian, thank you for joining us at CES. Definitely get Backer Kit if you're using Kickstarter. Seriously, we didn't do it and it sucks. <laughs> it's so much work. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes and our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. If you've loved this episode, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors and entrepreneurs find the show and helps us get better guests on here to help build your business. If you need a more hands-on crowdfunding strategy, please feel free to request a quote on commandpartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you soon.